Welcome to What's The Story, a podcast uh, where I get to chat to everyday people about their stories of faith and courage. And today I'm chatting with my very good friend, Dave Connolly, about growing up in the 60s in Toxteth, Liverpool, how robbing his brother led him to becoming a Christian, how he dealt with his nephew being murdered, and what it's like to lead a church. So much to get into uh, in this conversation with Dave. But before we do that, one of the things I love to do is just to give you a few more episodes to sort of have a listen to, just in case you've not got enough from today. So why not check out uh, Learning How to Forgive Totally Changed My Life uh, by my wife, Sharon Edmondson. She did that talk, that's on the CrowdChurch website. Um, And also, How Do I Resist Evil, which you did, Dave, actually, part of the Alpha series, which was also great. You can find both of these episodes and our entire archive of episodes and live streams on our website for free at www.crowd.church. And whilst you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter and each week we will email you these links along with the notes and links from today's conversation with Dave. It comes direct to your inbox, totally free totally amazing. Now this episode is brought to you by Crowd Online Church. Dave, you know as well as I do that not everybody wants to go to church and not everybody can even get into a church building. And that's where online church works super well. It's a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing that I love about Crowd Church is that you get to join in and shape the conversation as they don't just talk at you. Oh no. So if you've never been to church before or if you're looking for a new church, do check out Crowd Church. The website is www.crowd.church or you can email me directly at matt at crowd.church with any questions. I would love to answer them for you. Now, Dave Connolly is one of my longest standing friends. He is the co-founding pastor of Frontline Church in Liverpool. Until recently, he was a pastor of Toxteth Tabernacle, and now he spends most of his time supporting church leaders, pastoring the pastors, as well as hanging out with his amazing and beautiful wife and family. You've got Julie, you've got copious amounts of grandkids. Dave, welcome to What's the Story. It's great to finally have this conversation. Absolutely. Great to be with you, Now, Matt. there we go. Uh, sorry, I just had you on mute there for a second. <laughs> yeah, no, you're back. You're back now. You're fine. <laughs> That's what we call professionalism, ladies and gentlemen, uh, forgetting to unmute the mute button. So uh, it's great to have you. So you have been uh, in Liverpool all your life, right? Born and bred Liverpool? Yeah, born and bred in Toxton. So for those outside of Liverpool... Uh, and maybe outside of people who knew what happened in the eighties, tell tell the world what is what is what's it like growing up in Toxteth. I think growing up in Toxteth is probably like growing up in the centre of any inner city mm. culture, especially being a seaport. Um, there's great um, copious amounts of money in different areas and great poverty at the same time great music culture, great creativity. Today, it's just called different things than what it was. I was born in 1957, so I don't remember anything of the 50s, really. Um, or the 70s or the 80s, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in the 60s, and for me, life was 
like most of the people in, in Toxteth, it was tough. Yeah. It wasn't a, a cool place to live. It was just our place to live. And, um, yeah, I grew up in a, a row of terraced houses, um, a little bit like what you see on Coronation Street, but not as nice. Um, I had a mum and dad and three siblings. I was the youngest by seven years. Mm. In, in, in the row of houses where we lived, in the streets, I should say, there's probably about 148 houses. But many of those houses, maybe just under 20 of those households, were related to us. Wow. And then you have those aunties and uncles who aren't really aunties and uncles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just drink or rob something with your dad. Um, <laughs> you know, they're like extended family. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the type of, of growing up in that environment. And yeah. was it common then that you had um, you had your family living on the same street? Because, I, I mean, I you know, my family, in some respects, are miles away, you know. But but I always remember, like, TV shows like Bread, you know, growing up. And it's, and it's like there was always sort of family members and everyone was inside each other's houses. Was that what it was actually like? I think so. Um, that was my experience. Um, I mean, you know, things on TV are supposed to be entertaining or, in Brad's case, funny. And I know a lot of Liverpool people don't like Brad. They say okay. it's exaggeration. But it is exaggeration. Mm. But that's what entertainment is. And, and you know, when you exaggerate something, um, I thought it captured my Liverpool mm. that I you know, even though I grew up a little bit earlier than that. Yeah, that's interesting. So you grew up well, in this street then well, where you... Sorry, Dave, go I ahead. I a lot of hate mail now for saying this. <laughs> 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 But it was so. I was there. The anti-bread brigade. Uh, it was, so yeah, that was fair enough. Uh, so you grew up... Um, you've got this street where 20 of the houses is your family. I mean, that's a big old family uh, in the 60s growing up in the street. Um, what was that like? Were you in everyone's house or did you all kind of just ignore each other? Um, well, people seem to... Everybody seemed to work, you know, so... Everybody seemed to be out, and mm. you know, you get up and you listen. For me, I would go out on the street until I was called in for bed. Um, okay. I think you know, we have labels for everything today. Um, I dread to think what labels I would have carried. Um, but our family was as dysfunctional as the next, mm. it was as broken and dam as damaged as the next. Um, but I, I. As I got older, I found more grace for my mum and dad. I think they did the best as broken people with what little they had. Yeah. They yeah. um so you, you say you found more grace for them because you it's interesting, isn't it? I, I think about this and I think as I've got older and as I've had my own kids and as they've got older, I think I've become more aware of of my parents and actually more appreciative of them, if that makes sense, because you 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 see it from the you see it from their side a little bit more, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I used to, they call it sofa surfing now. What well, you did there a few years ago, a lot of my time was spent sleeping on the sofa, the floors of 
relatives' houses. It was a two up, two down. I've got two older brothers and a sister and a mum and dad. You know, where where do they sleep? You know, mm. um, brightness, I think. And um, so I would end up on the sofa. Um, my mum was, my mum and dad were quite, we're, we're very rough, but my mum was quite poorly at times. And I was a handful. Mm. You know, I had behaviour problems. And Julie says I still do. Um, <laughs> I don't know what she means. I don't know what she means. So I was just out there doing my own thing, you know, and and I got well and truly damaged over the years. Mm. I got exposed to things that kids um, should never be exposed to. And I would vehemently want to protect my own children and my own grandchildren as much as I can from being exposed to those things, you know. Mm. And yeah. they, those, that sort of exposure obviously shaped you then quite dramatically as a kid. It damaged me and broke me. Mm. Um, I was dysfunctional. I mean, occasionally went to school. You know, it, it sounds funny as you get older. It sounds funny when you tell them the story. You know, school was two, two streets away, both my primary school and my secondary school. And, um, you know, I'd go in and get my mark and come home. You know, from a very early age, you know, mm. um, it wasn't their fault. You know, it was me. I, I just, I was so hurt. It was really difficult to let anybody into my brokenness. Mm. And I was so as well. Wow. Because people damaged me. Were relatives. And there were people who I would have thought would have cared for me. And it's not until you get older that you realise some of the stuff that you've been exposed to and the damage it's caused you. Mm. Yeah. But that's uh, not you. No. I would say that would be of most of the people who I grew up with. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard well, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Especially when you watch it um and, and see it from the other side. So here you are, you're a young, broken kid, growing up in the streets of Toxteth in the nineteen sixties. You've got two brothers, a sister, a mum and a dad, and you live in a two what we call a two up two down. In other words, there was two bedrooms uh, upstairs and yeah. two rooms downstairs um, uh, for those outside of the UK. So you've got a house which is way too small for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, you're sofa surfing in the 20 houses belonging to your family up and down the mm-hmm. street. Um, what what started you on your faith journey? What kind of led you to start going down that road? How did that all come about? Yeah, quite bizarre because um, I'm not aware of my mum and dad having any faith. I mean, um, we were really bad Catholics and exceptionally bad Protestants. Um, <laughs> okay. And, you know, yeah, I, I don't remember. The only time I heard God was when it was, you know, in some form of swear word. Um, but I remember clearly, you know, being eight years old and having pain in my heart yeah you know i mean i was i I was at eight years old i was desperate Mm. you know it wasn't i know i'm not putting a finger at anybody here you know broken people break other people Mm. it's just way life is you know and um i remember one sunday afternoon um walking down a road called princess um avenue in Liverpool or Princess Drive and depending on which side of it you're on and it was raining 
and I seen all these kids queuing up. I thought to get out of the rain. I thought they were all trying to get into this old building um, on the corner. And I got in the queue and it moved in quickly. And I didn't realize it was Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this colossus of a man put his hand on me. So it's got a reaction from me. Okay. And so my a good one. And yep. he said, you're not. And a gentleman called Richard Woods. Um, I didn't know him. He said, I'll let him in. And basically he just, he said, to, he turned to this man and he said, and he, he, the guy was called Ronnie. He said, Ronnie, what color is your Bible? And he said, this guy looks at him and he goes, black. And, and Richard said, well, your Bible should be red. All Bibles should be red, as in R-E-A-D, yeah, yeah. R-E-D. Yeah, yeah. And as he Ronnie was just looking at him as if this guy's crazy. He just shoved me through the door. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Richard said, why don't you want to let, as I'm sneaking in, Richard said to this guy, why won't you let him in? He said, well, he was trying to set fire to the building the other day. <laughs> which, which was you true. Know, um, it was true, you know. Um, and anyway, I went down into the basements of this old, old church. And Richard was speaking. And I would have to say, at the age of eight, this guy preached on Gideon. Mm. And for the very first time in my life, that I am aware of, I heard of hope and a future. And, um, you know, a lot of people, in my peers, even at a very young age, had been written off. Mm. Girls written off by society. You know, the only thing I think most people would say would be guaranteed is that we'd end up either... In, in, in jail, in prison, or some other crazy place. And um, I went for three weeks, Matt, and Richard spoke on Gideon for three weeks. And I can remember clearly each of those messages. I'm 65, wow. just that's a good preacher when you can remember. Yeah, that. yeah, totally. And I still see this guy. In fact, he, he walked into the tab just before I had my last preach there. And um, every time we see each other, we just cry. And um, he was telling somebody after the service on um, the other Sunday, he was saying, um, I'm the only person who's ever cried at his preaching. And and I did weep, you know. Mm -hmm. And to, the only time I would normally cry as a child would be when I was angry. Yeah. And, and I just heard something that never, it just formed something, it stirred something inside of me, it stirred that life doesn't have to go a certain way, that I'm not a mistake, which is something I'd heard a lot in my life, you know, that I was an afterthought, a mistake, blah, 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 you know, the story unravels, not pleasant, but I did not think miraculous happened to me, mm. besides a seed sown into my life. Mm. And I would see Richard um, through the years. I would see him and he, he would always be affirming. And he's just a lovely guy, you know. And, um, and he'd say, I'm praying for you. I'm not giving up on you. 
But it wasn't until I got to my late teens, you know, and as the years had carried on, I'd got even more broken, really. Mm. Thought I helped break people to my shame. And my brother, Mech, um, my younger brother, Mech, um, sorry, he's my next brother up, I should say. Um, I didn't really know my family that well, if I'm honest, because mm. of all the sofa surfing. <laughs> and he was a nice guy. I mean, mm. I actually thought, can't be my blood relative. He's <laughs> Really, but he'd he'd become a Christian, and um, and I didn't know too much about that. And mm. um, he got married to this lady who was like an angel. Who was, she was amazing. And they had some time passed by, and they had a baby. And they said to me, "Oh, do you want to come and babysit?" Well, I would have to say, I'm probably in my very late teens then, and I wasn't in a good place, you know. I'd, mm. Had a bit of weed, bit of LSD. We're not in a fantastic place. And I'm like, they've invited me to babysit. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and I had no idea I got there because I don't even, I don't remember them ever telling me where they lived. Yeah. But I got And they were going out. They left at 6 o'clock. They didn't have a TV. They only had Christian music, which like sounded the same playing it forwards and backwards. <laughs> and then, I remember getting this, I think it was like a cot cheese and putting it on the floor mm. and I started to empty the drawers. But they didn't have a whole lot worth robbing anyway, if I'm honest. Oh, so and, you were emptying um, stuff into the cot sheet to steal it? Well, I need to sort it out. You only want to take yeah. good stuff. Yeah, well, it's a player. I thought you were taking notes then. <laughs> um, it's only worth stealing what you can sell, man. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honour. And um, and it was bizarre because I came across this book, and it, you know, you're talking about it's in the seventies, mid early mid seventies, and there was a, a book there, and it drew my attention to it because there was like what I thought was a semi-naked lady. Mm. I thought, you dirty rascal. <laughs> anyway, I opened this book, and here's this book called "Turned Onto Jesus" by Arthur Blessed. Mm. Now, I can categorically say to you, man, I had never read a book in all the time I was at school. Wow. And I started to read this book. You know, I think we would call it a God moment. Mm. I was desperately bored. So I started to read this book. Yeah, yeah. And the book was based in um, Sunset Strip in America. Yeah. And Arthur Blessed was like a missionary to um, this inner city group of people. And it was bizarre. There was people in there, and it was like he was writing about my friends on the street here. Wow. They just different names, you know, and, and I wasn't a star, by by the way. I was mm -hmm. just like sort of in, in the ensemble somewhere, you know. Okay. But I could write people, ordinary people, going through very similar things and brokenness yeah. like myself. And I think, you know, some people say they found Jesus. Nah, they didn't. Jesus found them. Yeah. It is clear, you know, and they heard a scripture calls it, you know, the gospel and their lives, complex lives, started a new direction. Yeah. With 
the hope and purpose that I heard when I was eight. Mm. For a decade it took for that seed to get anywhere. But wow. these people got this hope and this purpose that I heard about when I was eight. Mm. Um, just to pull this bit to an end, and that was my brother came home with his wife and said, what are you doing? You robbing me. You know what I'm saying? You've got nothing worth robbing. <laughs> and his wife, he was gorgeous lady. She said, what are you doing reading that book? And I'm like, I'm not reading the book. And she goes, it's okay. I'm like, why would I want to read a book about Jesus? I'm like, <laughs> Brilliant. You know, I was, I was done, done. And, but you know, the amazing thing, Matt, you know, some people call it coincidence. Some of us just call it God. The guy he wrote that book was going to be in Liverpool the following Wednesday. No way. In the in, in what was the boxing arena. And I went to that meeting. And shall I tell you a bit about that meeting? Or do you yeah, want to yeah no, go for it. Go for it. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I did go, Mark, because I was interested to see what this guy was like. Yeah. And I got walked in and we had it was a boxing arena we had seats front and center three rows from the front these two dudes hippies playing the guitars and i'm like i looked around and i could see people in there and i thought this is going to kick off big style and then all of a sudden there's a guy in in the boxing ring and i'm like he's starting go guy you know so i think i may have shouted something because i thought he was starting a fight it was Arthur Blessed. It was wow. the preacher man. Wow. And he starts to tell a little bit of the story of what God had called them to do in reaching these people. And I just have to say, I had so much hatred for this man. Every time he opened his mouth, I thought, I want to stab you. I want to hit you. And... Wow. Why did you he, have so much hatred for him? I think... He was just kept saying how much God and how much, and because God loved these people who were like me, that God had sent him to bring hope. And, and you know, I think my brokenness was making me angry. And then I don't know how long he spoke for, but I, I was definitely at tipping points of jumping in the ring, honestly. You know, wow. not because I'm some big bad guy. I was just angry. I wanted to hate him. Yeah. And he said, okay, that's enough for me. I want, I've told you about Jesus, I've told you that he loves you, and you're never going to be good enough to receive his love and forgiveness. None of us are. He says, well, I'm going to give you opportunity to receive Jesus into your life. And I thought, oh, this is just one of those big, freaky religious things. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, as I'm talking, I'm going to count backwards from three to one. And when I get to one, you need to be here. And I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. He went three. And I thought, no way is anybody so stupid to play. <laughs> people are moving. No way. And I'm like, what? So I'm looking around. I can see people, you know, um, from gangs who I was involved in moving forward. I'm like, it's going to kick off. He went two. And I can still see people moving. Before he said one mass, I was stood there. Wow. Wow. And I just thought, if this is real, 
this is maybe my only chance of finding some hope and purpose in life. And he talked about new beginnings. And if anybody ever needed a new beginning, I needed one. I knew my brokenness. You know, I knew my lostness. And um, and I went forward and uh, people came to talk to you. Mm. And this little Mr. Ben, honestly, had the black suit and tie. He's <laughs> next to me. And he introduced himself as Pastor Angel. Oh, wow. And I went, what? I said, are you for real? He goes, yes. Wow, that's amazing. And he started talking to me. I can't tell you anything he said. Okay. And he said, we're going to pray now. We're going to invite Jesus into your life. And he he was really affirming. He did annoy me because he kept calling me son. And I had no concept of that. Right. And he said, you know, pray your prayer. I said, I don't know any. He says, you must know a prayer. I said, I don't know any. You really annoy me now, Macy. And um, he says, well, just have a go. And I said to him, I only know one prayer. He said, that's the one. (laughs) Okay. I said, God, if you can get me out of this, I'll do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that's probably a sum total of my prayer. I think he was expecting the Lord's (laughs) prayer. Or something. And I remember him just looking at me very graciously and saying, no, that won't do. Maybe just pray this prayer after me. And I did. And, um, you know, my, I, I think I was expecting a flash of lightning. Um, but it, I didn't hear one, you know. I didn't hear any thunder. And, and I remember this little man saying to me, he said, what do you think you've done tonight? And I said to him, I said, what I think I've done, I've said to God, if you're really interested in someone like me, if you really did die for somebody like me, I wouldn't give you my life. Mm. And I know those words mean something now. But even as I'm saying to you, I mean, the impact of them, you know, I am fully aware of. And um, I went home. And that's the hard thing, isn't it? Going back to the situation, you know, you've come out of. And I remember laying on my bed. And I remember saying, God, you know, really, 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 if you are interested in somebody like me, I want to have a go. Mm. And um, it's amazing how God brings people into your life, you know. And within days, um, I, I was... I'd met Christians, and they invited me into their in, in, into their lives, and I started to grow. And you know, I was still broken. Yeah. My early roller coaster, you know, loads of downs. Um, but they stayed with me, and they taught me. We mm. we often, um, talk about discipleship, and the folks listening, you know, they've listened to any crowd church. We talk about discipleship. A lot, you know, and another phrase for that is journeying together. Mm. And we started the journey, and I watched how they lived, and um, yeah, it, it was. It, it, I was so thankful that God put great people around me. Life was still tough. I'm thankful that 
any addictions that I had that could miraculously broke straight away. You know, but I wow. definitely had enough other baggage to be dealing yeah. with. Yeah. Well, I've heard you say that before that actually when you became a Christian, God set you free from addictions with medication and alcohol. And you stopped pretty much straight away, which is not everyone's story, um, well, but it was is definitely your story, right? Well, yeah, because I don't, I mean, the, 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 the other end of that sentence is, you know, I really admire people who go through rehab. They learn things that I didn't learn. And I think for me, God set me free without anything it was because I'm such a flake. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm, I was such a flake and I was just so broken and damaged and whatever. I don't think I could have done a rehab. Mm. You know, I think people, I have total respect for people who do rehab because in that, you journey again with people and you learn so much. But for me, my learning was more as you go. You know. More on the job, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it was great that, you know, I didn't, I, I just was able to stop drinking and, and doing stuff that I shouldn't have been putting into my body, you know. I mean, I wasn't some super heroin addict or whatever, you know. Um, it just wasn't good. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's in, so right at that, so you're in your late teens, you know, you're, you're at this Arthur Blessed sort of uh, event with Pastor Angel, which I think is one of the coolest names ever. Oh, um, phenomenal. Yeah. And you've, you've obviously encountered God. And so God starts to work in your life by putting you around other Christians, by setting you free from a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so does it all become sunshine and rainbows at this point? I would have to say totally not. Okay. Totally. It, it, it's this, you, you start this adventure. I mean, it's great. Now you have all, you know, when you've been walking the journey for a while, you have all these words, but you know, at the time it's a bit like, hello, what what's happening here? You know, because I start to go home to Toxter. You know, there's parts of Toxter that you can't walk through if you're white. There's parts of Toxter you can't walk through if you're, you know, black. You know, it was very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And there's big racial problems going on. I mean, it was it was, it was difficult. Um, and you know, you have to try and do life. And um, for me, I became really just aware of the Bible. You know, I'd never read really. You know, and and I started to read the Bible, and I started to read these great stories about ordinary people and about God's plan for your life and he has a purpose. So I remember Matt being sat in the back of a bus. I didn't leave school with a swimming certificate, okay? <laughs> and I remember saying, I'm sat in the back of a bus and I'm like, um, the only the only like religious things going on, I'm going to a prayer meeting. I'm going to, and I'm like, God, I, I've never worked up to this stage by the way mm. God, give you my life i'll do whatever you want and matt as clearly as i'm sat on the back of that bus i felt i didn't hear mm. but i thought i want you to be a nurse wow i probably know a nurse one nurse and she was a fairly new friend mm -hmm. well friend might be a bit of an exaggeration she probably walked past me once or twice in church <laughs> <laughs> No idea what nurses do, really. Mm. So I um, 
I go to this premier and this girl was there and I, and I tell her what happened on the bus and she looked at me as if um, you might want to think again I don't think you're going to cut it so I just said well what would I do so I said well you need to contact a school of nursing but you know there's a big waiting list blah 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 and this is the entry what you need educationally uh, okay I don't even know what that means never mind have it um so the next day I went you know I rang the school of nursing and as I'm talking and um, from a phone box by the way and, yeah, um, yeah yeah pre-mobile um, yeah, yeah phone box and um I got through to the school of nursing and I said I don't know what to do here but um I, 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 I'd like to be a nurse, please. And thinking she was going to say yes there and then, by the way. And she said, um, well, there's a nine-month waiting list for the School of Nursing and, you know, you have to have an entrance exam and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, yeah, when, so when do I start? And she goes, no, I don't think you understand. Well, I, I, the conversation did end quite abruptly on a hair part, but I forgive her. Yeah. <laughs> days later i got a, a letter inviting me for an interview wow how many days later two two okay wow two days and i'm thinking i've got nothing all i own is a couple of t-shirts literally two t-shirts white t-shirts and a couple of pairs of jeans i don't i'm not sure if you're allowed to wear that for an interview to be in here doesn't give quite the right impression and uh, anyway I got some clothes and I went and um, they said well you need these qualifications and I'm like I want to be honest with you I was I was gonna lie but I didn't <laughs> so, I haven't got a swimming certificate I haven't got a cycling you know a cycling proficiency certificate mm. and he said well what happened with school so i said well we left by mutual agreement <laughs> they didn't want me and i didn't want to go <laughs> and okay. um, he said oh right okay and um there was no positive discrimination then at all by the way but somehow she must have took pity on me and she said well you could sit this multiple choice exam and then have your interview but apparently, I scorched this multiple choice thing. I got it wow. 100%. I didn't even know what most of those words meant. <laughs> wow. But I obviously did something right in the interview. Mm. But remember in the interview, um, one of the interviewers was his tutor, and he said, Dave, could I ask you a personal question? Do you have special needs? <laughs> wow. And I'm like, I've never heard this phrase. I'm yeah. like, I do thinking it was a great thing. And he goes, well, I would be your tutor. I'm sure we well, we might be able to get round that. You know, and I, because I honestly didn't know what it was. And a couple of days later, there's a nine-month waiting list. I was told I was starting in the next school, which was four weeks later. Oh, wow. And I have to say, God bless me with accelerated learning. Mm. And give me this great chooser who just wanted to be a Christian. Wow. You know, um, so, you know, sometimes when God asks you to do things or you feel God asks you to do things, 
and you feel totally inadequate. I have to say, if you read the Bible, he specializes in that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely on your side, right? That's his specialty. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, that's amazing. So you start nursing. Um, so you have this encounter with God. You start nursing, despite not having any qualifications, not even a swimming certificate, which uh, or a cycling proficiency. You still can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and you were a nurse, weren't you, for about what eighteen, nineteen years, somewhere around there? Yeah. Yeah, and you I was. And you specialised in children's nursing. Yeah, last in the last maybe decade i um moved to a children's hospital and was involved in children's nursing yeah which was amazing wow was really yeah so when god called you to nursing he i mean he called you right i mean there for 19 yeah. odd years absolutely it was a real vocation and um god gave me i mean i i, I mean i have to say you know during those times in the early in the early days i did have some struggles you know, um, with my faith. Not that I didn't believe in God. It was just the lifestyles. There was a lifestyle clash again. Yeah. And I made some wrong decisions in those very early days. And for about 12 or 14 months, maybe a bit longer, I just was making bad decisions. And then I realized I just need to go for God or not go for God. Mm. You know, and I decided to focus and Quit messing around, as my wife would say. Mm. Quit messing around. So she wasn't uh, my wife. Yeah, I was going to say. Wait, at, at what point in this story did you meet Julie? Um, I'd, I'd qualified nursing, and we were going to a church in an area called Everton, and um, they used to have a great youth group, and that youth group used to do like lots of sports activities. Julie used to play netball and hockey. And um, the guys used to play football, used to play in different leagues and um, not leagues, tournaments. And, and that was great. That was a great way um, for, you know, late teens, early 20s to, to, to mesh together and learn. And um, so that was, that, that was the early days. That was good to find some solid peers. Yeah, so you met her at, um, you met her at youth group. For want of a bit of youth groups, the wrong phrase. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, we found. Um, well, I think we'd actually. I think we'd met before I'd fallen away from God or, or was struggling. I think we'd met, and Julie like was sort of, we're not going to date if you're going to mess around type of thing, you know. Um, you know, well, you know, she's like, it's, let's get. Sorted. Oh yes. <laughs> Yeah, and so we 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 got married in early twenties, you know, still nursing. Um, but even then, I'd really felt a conviction that God was using my time while I was nursing to really lead a church to um, be a pastor to care for people. Yeah. And there's no fine thing than nursing. I would have to say, mm. you're with people in the best moments and certainly in the worst moments. You yeah. Know? And, yeah, and I um, loved nursing, even though it was difficult. I had great opportunities to share faith and to see God do some amazing things. But there came a time when I just knew this is the time now. 
to plan to go, we call it full time. Yeah. I've done lots of studying, extended external studying and preparation. So that must have been quite a, a, a seismic shift, right? I mean, a, a, just to sort of fast forward a little bit. So you obviously, um, you quit nursing, you, you, you start a church, you meet Nick Harding along the way, you join forces. Um, yeah. What is now called Frontline comes out of mm. that. Um, I, I meet you for the first time in 1992. Right, so 30 years ago, that's how long I, it was. I came as a fresh-faced student to Liverpool and you were helping along with Chris and Graham on the Alive and Kicking mission. Do you remember this at the CU at university? I remember. We, yeah, we had Eric Delve there and I'd just become a Christian at this point. And, um, and so I then stopped coming along to what was then called Bethany before it changed its name to Frontline mm. um, and got involved and I've never looked back since. And uh, it's, been, it's been an epic... Journey. And so I know a little bit of your story, um, but throughout the, 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 the time, right, what have been some of the key challenges that you sort of faced in life that you, uh, that God sort of helped you through this, you know, some of the, the big, the big things you sort of had to face on that journey? Yeah. I think for, for, for me, I love the idea of being on a journey. You know, as we read the Bible, you know, Jesus is walking here, or you've got the disciples on the Damascus Road. And, you know, the walking between places and the stories, what they're walking from or walking to may be different. But they're experiencing life together. Yeah. They're experiencing the highs and the lows. And um, I think some people, feel that Christianity is for the weak and you know what they're probably right I, I, I had to come to the end of myself you know and um, you know and well you might think Christianity is for losers can't be in um, but you know it is real you know yeah. you're not removed from all that is going on around you um, I believe that God walks with us on this journey through the day-to-day -day stuff of life, through the great blessings, you know, through births, through to deaths, through to illnesses. You know, as a pastor, you know, um, you talk about you, meeting you guys for the first time, you know, you, your generation of guys, it's been great to see you coming through. Sorry, Matt, I'm laughing along. <laughs> Well, you, you no, I'm not going to. I'm going to behave. And, uh, you know, <laughs> just to see you grow, you know, from these young guys into real men, you know, and, and, and finding amazing wives and, and vice versa, you know, and then seeing you with your own kids, you know. And, and I know, like, um, when we were in small group together, you know, even as a small group of men who used to meet weekly, we walked through some real difficult times together. Oh, yeah. And um, we remember praying for girlfriends and then wives and and then for children and you know even to see you know the loss of children in that group and the, you know and to see people yeah. bereft of that um, it's a real journey and um, and God is I would have to say is faithful 
and you know even when we don't think he's there he's there because not because necessarily we feel him but because he said he'd be there and he is the comforter and um so for me highs and lows i learn more i'm, I'm wired i learn more in a low yeah. than what i do in that yeah. i take the high you know but i know mm. that i or i see who i really am um in those low times i see being a christian being a journey of yeah walking with each other i also like the word adventure there's certainly nothing but if you've got a medial christian life if any of you know, the folks watching this have a medial christian life you're missing out because it's supposed to be an adventure yeah yeah totally you know and um walking with god is an adventure you'll see things and do things that you could only read about in a book if you go for it with god we've seen the miraculous we've seen god provide um very practical things we've seen amazing healings mm. you know with a lady um, at the weekend and we prayed with her 20 years ago when she had HIV and wow. she's completely healed wow you know um, we've just seen so many amazing healings yeah. and yet we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with people it's part of life so um, yeah I am thankful I, I, my, you know, I'm probably the ble most blessed person on this planet. Um, that when we've gone through our eyes, our highs, we're able to say thank you, Jesus. Yeah. And when those times like um, have happened, like um, you know, to ourselves or to people around us, like as you mentioned, my nephew being murdered. Somehow. God reveals himself even in that pain. Mm. Um, you know, it's, there's, with God, there's no just get over it. God has something for the moment. Mm. And um, and he's forever speaking and he's forever caring. And um, yeah, and I, I'm just thankful, Matt. Mm. That's I, really I, powerful. I really yeah, super powerful. I mean, you know, we, I mentioned this at the start, and you, you mentioned it about about Paul. Um, for those watching and listening, and I'm assuming it's going to be most of them, what actually happened there? Because it wasn't just a case of sort of yeah. gang warfare or anything, was it? This was this was this was all. This is a. He was working as a carer at the time. He was raising a Christian family in his early 20s, was struggling with his walk with God. He's probably struggling more with a church, the church, you know, as the, the establishment. And he, he went off and he was doing his own thing. And then a few months before this incident, he, he came back to God and he was really seeking God and loving God and reconnecting. And um, he had gone to visit a friend I could just read the broad details. He'd gone to visit a friend. Um, he was off the next day, if I remember rightly, and he'd gone to visit a friend to play some video games. And it was nearly midnight or whatever. And 
the sorry, getting a visit from my dog. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, he was off the next day, so we went to visit a friend, play some video games, and there'd been some shenanigans going on in the area with some guys causing trouble earlier, and um, he was going to his friends in a taxi and he just said to the taxi driver, just drop me here, I can cross over the road and walk down the street. He got out of the taxi, crossed the road, and my understanding is that two guys ran past him and stabbed him and they, I think they were craft knives, and they stabbed him and broke them off inside of him. And basically he bled to death within minutes. Wow, wow. And this is this is actually the son of Mick, who's your brother's yeah, house, yeah. where you had the cot sheet on the floor and reading the Arthur Blessed yeah. book, right? Yeah, his mum and uh, Paul's mum and dad, Mick and Lynn, they wrote a book, um, that I think you can get it on on Amazon called "Son of a Preacher Man," which tells their story, and um, it is quite amazing. This yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable, and the stuff that's come out of it. I mean, we've we've featured some yes. of their story actually on Crowd before, um, but the stuff mm. that's come out of it has been extraordinary. But in the and and as with all, I mean, it's easy to sit here in some respects and say, well, you know, God can bring good out of bad situations. But when you're living in that, that's that's a very different scenario, right? So, yeah. um, how did you how did you deal with that at the time? Well, I literally flew home. It happened when I was in America, and I flew home from America. Um, my daughter, Catherine, had stood in, and she's a great resource, you know, just fantastic, you know, and um, she was just loving them and making space to be with them. And, uh, and I came home and just said, you know, what can I do? And really, it was just to be with them. And we talked. And we cried, and we cried, and we laughed, and then we we planned a funeral, and um, that that was that was quite helpful in the grieving process. I think, generally speaking, but some stories came out, and that was um, literally the night before Paul's death. Um, he'd been at a bar playing snoop pool with some friends and there was a young lady there who they, who they knew really well. Paul was engaged, his wife was away on mission, sorry, his fiance was away on mission and um, there was a young lady there who they just knew as a friend and she was having a bad time and basically she left that bar saying I'm going home to commit suicide and Paul followed her because he was that concerned. A number of people were concerned, but Paul followed her. And um, he was knocking on her door, saying, look, let's talk. And she's like, no, I'm just going to kill myself. And he said, well, I'm going to sit here all night talking to you, which is what he did. Wow. And this young lady told that story at his, fu uh, at his funeral. Oh, Paula just stayed up all night to talk to her because he was concerned that she was going to take her own life. Mm. And um, that was probably one of the last things he did. 
Wowzers. And That's I, an incredible it, story. It is a, you know, so, you know, our time here on this planet, it's very short and it's very fragile. It makes you not necessarily fearful, but it does make you realize, you know, life is fragile. And we need to live it well. Recently, we've heard a lot said about the Queen, rightly, of our life lived well. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, life is, is shorter. It's shorter than any of us would want it to be. Mm -hmm. Or fragile. And we need to live it to the full and not waste it. And how do you do that? How would you live it to the full? I mean, I appreciate that's a bit of a leading question, but um, I'll ask yeah. it anyway. I, I think my honest answer, Matt, would be <clears throat> to go go for God wholeheartedly. You know, if you want to achieve something amazing, if I mean, I've never done anything amazing in my life. You know, I've never run a marathon. Julie has. You know, you don't just decide to do it one day. There's lots of training involved, lots of sacrifice, lots of being focused on what you're doing. And, and I think being a Christian is like that. We need to be focused. We need to be determined. We need to be sold out on God and his plans and his, his purposes and, um, and go for it. Stop trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in, you know, in, in the kingdom, as we like to say. You know, let's, let's, be, let's be honest. Let's be real. People out there in the world, they've had enough. They know all the flaky stuff. They're looking for something that is authentic. And I would say this Jesus walk is so authentic at times it just hurts. But you'll never be alone. Yeah. Purely because so he true. said that. Yeah. The only thing you count on is what God says in his word. Mm. And you know, for me, from my early days of being a Christian, there's two places in the Bible that says this. God says, I will never leave you or abandon you. Mm-hmm. That is flipping good news for me. Yeah. And I have to tell myself that over and over again. And, um, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say there are times I have to tell myself that because I don't feel God with me. Like mm. in that time, and there's been other times in my life I've not felt lovely feelings. I've not even wanted to be around other Christians at some time. But I have known of not being alone because God says in his word, I will never abandon you, yeah. nor forsake you. And I'm like, God can't lie. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, that's what I put, that's what I saw my life on, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. No, powerful stuff, man. And I would, I, I, I agree with everything that you said, other than the sentence, I've not done anything amazing. I feel like actually you have um, yeah. in some major ways. Um, of course. I, I, there's very few people on the planet that have had the impact on my life that you have had. Um, and, you know, I'm God's favourite, so it's got to be amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's obviously after me. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to explain for those listening to the podcast before I close it out. Um, we used to have this, uh, do you remember, we used to have this thing about who was God's favourite and we'd argue about it all the time. I'm God's favourite. No, I'm God's favourite. 
And um, I went and bought the domain name godsfavorite.com and just put a picture of me on it. So when you Googled God's favorite, it just came up with a photo of me. And I remember saying to you one day, Dave, see that Google says it's me, so it's got to be right. <laughs> Obviously. It came through Wikipedia, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny, the banter. And before anybody writes, says, yes, we know God has no favourites. Uh, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Say that again, sorry. Bible tells us we are friends of God. Yeah, it does. It but does. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm his best friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some friends that you have and then there's your real friends and I'm one of them yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> love it absolutely love it so Dave listen thank you I'm aware of time and um, I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface a little bit really um, if people want to reach out to you if people want to get a hold of you connect with you what's the best way to do that <clears throat> yeah there's a number of ways Matt um, you can track me down on Facebook and you'll go to Dave Connolly and when you open that up, you'll see um, it says Godseekers UK. Or you can email me at godseekersuk at gmail.com. Or you can go to a really new, exciting website, which tells you a little bit about some of the things that I'm doing at revivemerseyside.org. Revivemerseyside.org. That's fantastic. And we will, of course, link to... Uh, all those links for Dave in the show notes, uh, which you can get for free along with a transcript and notes at crowd.church, www.crowd.church, or direct in your inbox if you signed up for our newsletter. Dave, listen, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, man. Thanks for sharing your story. Love you loads. Think you're awesome. And it's just been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, bless you, Matt. Lovely to see you. So there you have it, another fantastic conversation. Huge thanks again to Dave for joining me today. Remember to check out Crowd Online Church at www.crowd.church. Uh, you'll get to hear Dave speak in a few weeks and there's some of his talks already on there, which you can also check out. Uh, and just check it out. Even if you might not see the point of church, uh, Crowd Church is a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church. Be sure to subscribe to What's the Story wherever you get your podcast from because we've got some great stories lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, uh, let me do this, <laughs> you are awesome yes you are it's just a burden you have to bear i have to bear it dave has to bear it we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that is good news now what's the story is produced by crowd online church you can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app the team the wonderful team that makes this show possible is sadaf bain on george McQuaig, josh catchpole estella robin and the mighty tim johnson our theme song has been written by josh edmondson and if you would like to read the transcript or show notes as i said head over to the website www.crowd.church where you can also sign up for our newsletter and get 
all of this good stuff direct to your inbox, totally free, totally amazing. So that's it from me, that's it from Dave. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, have a fantastic week. Uh, I will see you next time. Bye for now.